everyone, and welcome to A Broad's Way Through Broadway. I am your host, The Broad, Allison Chickerell, and today we are discussing the Adams Family musical. And here to join me is Milwaukee playwright, singer, actor, director, uh, lyricist, musician, pianist, accompanist, Matt Zembrowski. Did that? Did I get it all, Matt? Did I get all the I'm stuff? Pretty sure you, you covered all the bases on that one. <laughs> if uh, if you didn't, I think people just generally get that I'm kind of a theatrical overachiever. Why don't you try doing something with your life, Matt? Jeez. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Uh, all right. So, um, so Adam's family. For those of you who don't know, uh, Adam's family direct or uh, not directed. Hello, music and lyrics by Andrew Lip. Uh, debuted on Broadway in April 2010, featured a cast including Nathan Lane, Baby New Earth, Kevin Chamberlain, Krista Rodriguez. Uh, oh my gosh, amazing cast. I love that cast. Uh, it was nominated for two Tony Awards for Best Original Score by Andrew Lippa, and uh, Kevin Chamberlain had a nomination for Best Performance from a Featured Actor for Uncle Fester, and it did win a Drama Desk Award for the Best Set Design. Um, that is really awesome. I can think of that set in my head right now, and it's nuts, that that Adam's Family home mansion. Um, so, Matt, uh, Adam's Family, tell me about, like, so, like, when you first found out that Adam's Family was um, was going to be a musical, what did you think of that? <laughs> like... Um, I, well, I mean, uh, I, I grew up on the Adam's Family. The movie came out in 1992 um, when I was nine years old. Um, and, uh, it was just always one of my favorites. The characters were so silly and yet had this real heart to them. Um, the, their, their love for each other, no matter how weird they were. Um, uh, as I grew up, you know, I, I kind of drew some parallels to my own personal life. Um, and so it, it just seemed very natural as, as dramatic as the characters were, as, as overdramatic as they were, as flamboyant as they were, that, that adding songs to their story would make perfect sense. Um, I didn't really know Andrew Lippa's work very well. I knew he had done a version of The Wild Party, and it was kind of the other version of The Wild Party, depending on who you talk to. Um, so when they announced that he was doing it, I was like, um, okay, well, I guess we sort of have a total clean slate here. I don't I don't really know what to expect. But then as casting decisions started coming out and they announced that Nathan Lane and B.B. Newworth were going to be doing it, of course I got excited because that's, the, I mean, the two of them, if you were to look at the original cartoons, um, which were drawn by Charles, Charles Adams decades ago, um, it really, the, the two of them would fit that mold perfectly. And then of course they added Kevin Chamberlain and Jackie Hoffman as grandmama, who was terrific. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the cast is really what sold me on that show, uh, even beyond just knowing that I love the Adams family and I was keen to, to see what they would do with it on stage, hoping that, you know, maybe someday I'd be able to play one of the parts. Yes. And, and so you did, now I know you go to New York a lot. Did you, you saw it in New York or no? I did not see it in New York, and I will tell you why. Because I saw it in Chicago, um, and I, I, I was, I was a little, I was a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. Um, I knew it was a work in progress. Um, they did it in Chicago about nine months or so, maybe, maybe a little less than that before it transferred to Broadway in New York. And some of the stuff that they did, I was really just kind of um, like, oh, it's a choice. Um, and, uh, and I felt like I didn't really need to see it in New York, having seen, you know, basically that entire cast, um, and just being kind of meh about the material. Um, 
I did buy the cast album um, to to listen to see what the changes were, and I will admit that the changes that they made were whole scale better. Um, and we can <laughs> we can go through some of those individual moments uh, as we go in in our conversation. But the changes that they made were a giant step forward. And then when I saw it years later um, on tour, um, uh, the first national tour when it went to the Overture Center in Madison, um, the the changes that they made beyond that were even better. Wow. Okay. So that's so cool. So you've actually actually been able to kind of see like what it first became musical and then the the work in progress like as it went that's that is so cool yeah I've I pretty much just based on like you know I didn't even know it was going to be a thing until it was a thing I was like I'm family musical like what let me let me listen to this and I was drawn to it also by Nathan Lane and BB Newworth I was like oh hello um and just listen to the soundtrack and I I just I loved the music and I loved and I liked I liked Nathan Lane as Gomez I I kind of was into that immediately. Um, but that was all I had to go off of was just the just the the Broadway cast recording. I think I heard it on my XM Broadway radio and was like, what? And it was the When You're an Adam song. And I was like, this is a musical? Okay, looking this up. And yeah, that's all I had to go off. I haven't seen I haven't seen it in, in New York, obviously. And um I've seen a number of community theater productions, a number of high school productions. I believe right now, actually, Adam's Family is, uh, I saw it in an article, it listed like the top 10 or 12 most popular choices for high school musicals in like yeah, a certain year. Yeah, I think it was year. number one for a it, while. It was, yeah. It was a very, very popular choice. And and I'd agree with that. I think it's an excellent choice for, for school musicals. Um, well, sure. And especially, it's got such a, a varied cast. And especially, like, it, it does a good job of uh, of finding roles for, for female performers. Yes. Um, a, lot of, a lot of shows tend to skew more towards the, you know, the, the, the heavy male parts that are really fun. Um, not so much for women, but the Adams family has got Morticia and it really kind of centers around Wednesday's character and it's got the grandma and all the ancestors. Like it's really well, the ancestors good for high being, school programs. The ancestors being so flexible too. Uh, I yep. know when we did the production at my little theater, we had six ancestors, whereas the ancestors in a school production or even any community theater production, you can have, you can have endless amount of them. It's so flexible. And like you said, and obviously in, in community theater local theater and school theater, there's always a shortage of men compared to the women. So obviously all the shows that, that have more roles for women are usually a a safer bet for your audition turnout. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, so so castics, do you, do you remember who who was in the cast that you saw in Chicago? Was it was it any? It was names? it was that entire original cast. I mean, oh, the only okay. the only differences may have been in the ancestors, but all of the featured oh, okay. players were the same. Okay. Did you have like a a personal favorite of? of that cast or well i mean i've always i've always loved nathan lane i've seen him in seven different shows I and mean, who doesn't um, and, right exactly. <laughs> anyone who doesn't like um, nathan lane is not someone i want to be friends with <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> yeah, there's, there's only so much time in your life for for people that you don't want to talk to <laughs> right um but i i actually i will tell you i never saw bb newworth do it the night that i saw it in chicago her stand-in did the performance um and i i can't remember her name offhand rachel something hmm. um and um, she was terrific. And I'd seen B.B. Newirth before, so I kind of could imagine what I figured B.B. Newirth was going to do with the part. And I saw this same performer, I recognized her name in the playbill um, in, a, in a Broadway show several years later. And I, I met her specifically at the stage door to tell her that I saw her as Morticia and I thought she was just marvelous. And she said, really? You're like the fourth person that has told me that? And I only did two performances of it in <laughs> Chicago. 
Oh my gosh. So she just left that much of an impression. It just goes to show that, yeah. you know, there, there are there are great performers who don't necessarily have a name that yes. leave an impression on you. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, and the tours and tours I've seen and smaller productions, you know, even semi-professional productions, it's like these people can be amazing. Even when they have oh, yeah. like the comparison to like, you know, being compared to Nathan Lane or compared to Bimi North or other original cast right. members or like, yeah. Um, I know yep. that, uh, for example, I saw Wicked in, um, uh, I saw a tour in production of Wicked and it was Jessica Vosk as, um, oh. as Alphaba. And I, and I'm a huge Adina Menzel fan. I am. I like her. I think she has a really interesting sound. I like that her voice is very distinctive. Doesn't sound like everybody else, but I, mm-hmm. I liked Jessica Vosk. And like, you have Adina Menzel in my head. So I'm instant comparison. Sure. I liked Jessica Vosk better. I did. And, and, well, and she's I, you're going to be super jealous. Compared I, to. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I saw Stephanie J. Block do it. Oh my um, gosh. When, when it was in Chicago. And same same thing. Like we all have Adina Menzel in our head because mm-hmm. she was in the original Broadway cast. But holy cow was she good. I mm-hmm. mean, just like a knockout. And then of course she, you know, she went on to win a Tony years later, but my goodness, like you could even see then that that she was really a special talent. Absolutely. And again, every, you know, if, if you're expecting Adina Menzel, you're, you're you know, you might be disappointed. But if you're if you open your mind up and just experience the show for what it is, yes. it's oh you so enriching. Yeah. Well, and because they're not copying each other. Like I noticed that Jessica Voss, she did yeah. so many things different than Adina Menzel, which made which made my ears go, ooh, that's that's different. And, yep. and I like same thing it. with Kendra Kessebaum, who I saw as as Galinda. You know, everybody is is expecting Kristen Chenoweth, mm-hmm. but Kendra Kessebaum just made it her own, completely <laughs> different. And I was Absolutely. like, good for you. That's the only way to make that part work. <laughs> So anyway, so, Adam's family. Adam, I knew Adam's family, right? Adam's family. <laughs> <laughs> what show are we talking about? <laughs> um, we should talk about Wicked later. Anyway, um, so so with um, so BB North and and Nathan Lane. Let me just ask you real quick. When now BB North for me, it's Frasier. It's Lilith from Frasier. Sure. I can't get her out of my head. Um, is there anyone in the, in the original cast, Chris Rodriguez or, or Kevin Chamberlain, anyone else, where it's like? You can't help but compare them to other roles they've done. Like how, like, like I don't know. A little bit with with Kevin Chamberlain. It was it was kind of um, not hard, but you could definitely hear shades of Horton from yes. uh, Susical. That is what when I know. He was him doing from. his Uncle Fester. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and even even off stage, I I, I met him at the stage door um, <laughs> uh, when I saw the show, and he really he does kind of have that really up and down <laughs> sort of Horton sort of voice. So that is his real. Uh, that is his real. I've never heard him in an interview or anything. I've yep. only ever heard him as Horton. And as Uncle Fester, and I always wonder right. because his voice sounds charactery. The only the only real difference is he's he's a little. I I had a decent conversation with him, so he you know he he knew that he could trust me uh, talking about stuff. But he's a little snarkier than Horton and Uncle Fester, who are both like cartoonishly positive. <laughs> So I, I told him when I, I actually I, I happened to be walking by the theater that the Adams family was playing at in New York um, when it was getting out. And I saw Kevin Chamberlain signing autographs for people. So I went over and I, I said, hey, I, I saw you in Chicago and I'm glad that they kept um, me and the moon in the show, which is one of the songs that he sings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looked at me and he said, buddy, that's the only thing from the Chicago production that worked. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. I have to ask while we're on the topic of of Adam's family cast members. Have you you yeah. met Nathan Lane? 
Yes, I did. I'd met him once. He is notoriously uh, uh, very shy with stage door dining. He will not sign autographs um, really under any circumstances. I did get an autograph playbill by him. I I saw him in the producers uh, when he did it in New York. Um, And he had pre-signed a number of playbills. Mm. Um, He and Matthew Broderick, which which somebody, you know, one of the stage door personnel handed out um, saying Mr. Lane won't be signing autographs today. So I, I did have that. But then I saw him in Angels in America. Uh, a couple years ago and I waited and waited and waited before the show started and he finally he's very short he's 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 only about five foot three compared to me um I'm six one and I finally saw him as he came into the stage door and I said Mr. Lane I I am so sorry to bother you but I've been waiting a really long time to tell you how much I admire you and I just want to shake your hand and he he said well thank you very much he shook my hand and probably forgot that it even happened moments after it I I left <laughs> oh my gosh but I did get that moment cuz I really I I have admired him for so long and I, I like I said I've seen him in seven different shows um including Adam's family and uh he he's just he's just a marvel with what he does on stage wow well, okay, so for those of you who haven't figured this out, Matt goes to New York a lot in, in the non-COVID times, um, goes to yeah, New York right. a lot. And, and non-baby times. And non-baby times. <laughs> and, <laughs> I now uh, have a daughter, which makes it kind of difficult to get oh, out there as much with. as I'd like. And she'll go with. Oh, and she, she will, totally will. She will learn to wait by the stage door and oh, yes. to, you go to New York to do, when you only do New York one way, you go there and you squeeze in as many Broadway shows as humanly possible back to back. Yep. <laughs> and then you <laughs> yep. wait by stage door to get those autographs. Uh, the, the, the tower of autographs you have is, is oh. I, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Um, I hope it's worth so, something. Cause that really is my like investment in my daughter's college education is <laughs> when I'm gone, you can sell these and pay off your student loans. Oh my God. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so Krista Rodriguez, what are your thoughts on her? She'd be like Wednesday Adams. Well, okay. So I I was I was foolhardily expecting something similar to the movie um, when when they announced that they were doing the musical. So when I saw the musical and they were they they were clearly taking it from a slightly grown up Wednesday's perspective. Yes. Um, I was I was a little uh, I was a little taken aback because I didn't I didn't know what to to think of it. It wasn't what I was expecting, which you know you should never have. It's not what crazy anyone is expecting. Yeah. No, Wednesday is definitely kind of for people who are coming into this musical and seeing it at, on, and only knowing kind of the the tv show um or even or even the movies you know you do have like the certain like you know pre pre-assumption of what wednesday is like and i do feel that out of the entire cast of all the cast members wednesday is probably the most different from yeah. what you would expect after seeing the tv show or the movies she's she's not yep. she's not monotone necessarily she can be a little bit but it's like it's it's so theatrical and mm-hmm. and and again, like you like you were getting into, for those of you who don't know the the plot, the plot of the show is was kind of Wednesday's love story, which is just so, which is just so not expected. Um, yep. So so I kind of cut you off a little bit there to to fill in a little bit about no, the, the plot okay. of the plot of the show. So but Krista Rodriguez, once you once you kind of grasped onto like, oh, this is what they're doing with Wednesday. Okay, mm-hmm. what what were your what were your thoughts on on, on her performance? Well, I, I have to I have to take it back a half a step um, just so that I can give you a little bit of context. The uh, the original opening number in Chicago was not when you're in Adams. Oh, okay. Um, the original number was an absolutely terrible song. <laughs> 
called <laughs> called the Clandango, um, which and I, I think last time I looked on YouTube, you could find the entire Chicago production. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> and you can see that opening number and it makes no sense. Oh I mean, you, you have this incredible cast with a number that you it has no connection to the Adams family sort of mystique or story. And um, and it, it just it, it wasn't very memorable musically. And at one point, I remember watching it. Um, they they cut Wednesday's hair. I'm like, this is really uncomfortably awkward. Not the so good the show, kind of theater awkward. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing even like it. Like they said, you're now part of the family, so we're going to cut your hair. I'm like, what? Does, what? <laughs> um, and so uh, having watched that, the bar just immediately kind of lowered about four or five rungs. Sure. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what the rest of this evening is going to be about. And then those of you who, who, who know the show, they had the, the thing with the squid and here's Wednesday coming out and singing this rock number um, about being pulled. And I'm like, I don't know what is happening here. I sure hope they fix this before they get to New York. <laughs> um, <And> they did. <laughs> they, they did. Yes. Um, and, um, uh, so when it got when it got to to Krista Rodriguez's Wednesday, I was already sort of uh, uh, un- uncomfortable with the whole evening, and so I, I had a hard time listening to Wednesday singing that song, whoever it was. Um, after I heard the Broadway cast recording, um, when they had fixed the opening number to something that is much more traditional musical theater, letting you into the world a little easier, then. Wednesday's song made much more sense. Um, and uh, and I think Krista Rodriguez was a really good choice for that because mm-hmm. she does have kind of a, a darker personality and a darker sounding voice. She can certainly belt to the stratosphere with anybody else. Like, but her you know, voice all is a dark color. I totally, I totally agree with you on that. For those of you who are vocal coaches or music directors, people who listen to the, the color and the tones of voices, Krista Rodriguez's tone is 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 very dark. I, I, I love it. I thought that her tone was perfect for Wednesday, but, but yeah, yeah I can imagine. Yeah. It's just, just a little, just a little askew going into it. So when it yeah. came, you know, when that, when that number came up, I'm like, okay, cool. You're, you got some, you got some redeeming to do here. And, and really like that, that it just goes to show what, what difference a, a good, a, a, a more solid opening number can do for a show. Cause it changes your whole perception. There's a, of course the really famous story about Stephen Sondheim cutting the original opening number to a funny thing happened on the way to the forum <gasps> and replacing it with comedy tonight. Yes. There, there, yes. There was another opening number and I think it was called, Called, uh, invocation and instructions to yes, the audience, yes. which he used later in the frogs. Mm-hmm. So you can hear that song and you listen to that song. You're like, this is not a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. <laughs> so when he changed that opening number, the whole rest of the show, of course, just, you know, it, it became this gigantic, you know, lifelong hit. Um, and I think I won't put that on the same level as the Adams family. Right. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe in terms of longevity, Adam Samuel will have the same sort of uh, a following that that forum did in its time. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's I think it's possible. Um, so if you were casting the show and you had if you were casting Adam's family and you had your pick of uh, either Broadway superstars or lesser known Broadway actors, obviously, you've seen a gazillion shows in New York. So you probably don't have like a lot mm-hmm. more names than the average <laughs> Broadway nerd. Um 
who would you like to see in the show and in any of the roles? Is there anyone you'd like to, you'd like to try? I always like playing this game. <laughs> this is a fun game. It, no, it is. It is a fun game. Um, and uh, truthfully, um, uh, Baby New Earth and I uh, have, have kind of a history together. She, she is the first stage door person to have ever blown me <gasps> off. So <laughs> when I, when I saw that she was in Adam's family and she was not at my performance, I'm like, cool, I'm done with you. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's, she, she does bring a, you know, a lifetime worth of performance to her role and you can hear it in the cast album and it's very fun, mm -hmm. but I, I, there are a number of performers. Honestly, I'd kind of like to see what like a Stephanie J block would do with that part. Okay. Um, uh, something like that. Um, Nathan Lane, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever change. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I, and what's funny is I saw, um, Douglas Sills was in the, was in the touring company. Um, and Douglas Sills, for those who don't know, he was um, he was Oren in the uh, Broadway production of Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. And he was also the uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Interesting. Um, so okay. He's very very dashing, very tall, very handsome. A completely different take on Gomez from what Nathan Lane did, who is you know sort of short, much shorter than than Baby New Earth and, and the person that I saw playing it um, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but Douglas Sills was kind of this this uh, this Errol Flynn swashbuckler type with just a hint of an accent, and he was just hysterical. He wow. his comic timing was second to none. Um, and one of my favorite 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 lines from that show is when Morticia and Gomez are talking are arguing about grandmama and 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 Morticia says um you should go tell your grandmother to stop smoking in the attic and Gomez says I thought that she was your mother <laughs> no I'm serious <laughs> and the way that Douglas Sills played that moment still stands out in my head. I don't remember anything else specific about that show or that <laughs> performance, but I remember that line because he delivered it with such comedic precision. I'm like, yes. that's awesome, dude. There's so um, many of those in the script too, and we'll we'll get into mm -hmm. a little more of the script in, in the second in the second half of this episode, but that is that's a line that I was actually gonna bring up later. I love that. <laughs> I thought she was your mother, and then there's just a beat where they just kind of stare at each other. I'm serious. <laughs> no, it's like no it's joke. so expected I actually, there, and not expected at the same time. <laughs> right. There's um, there's a, a, maybe a mutual friend of ours. I'll have to tell you who it is later, but I'll keep it anonymous for now. Had a picture of an elderly woman sitting on his and his wife's dresser when, you know, in, in their in their house, in their bedroom. Um, and finally, one day they were going through and they realized that it was a relative of neither of them. This woman's picture had been sitting on their dresser for years and had no connection to the family. So we actually posted it on Facebook and said, does anyone know who this woman is? <laughs> I mean, that happens in um, real life. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, right. So yeah, art, art imitating life or something. Wow. Um, but in, in terms of in terms of other casting decisions, they really I think they got that one right. Um, mm -hmm. I you know I I think um, just for fun's sake, I would love to see Andrea Martin play Grandmama. Oh. Um, Jackie Hoffman was so good, but Andrea Martin has just got this different kind of yes. Mother Nature worldliness about her that might be kind of fun. Yes. Um, that's the great thing about this show is that the the, the parts are so big and memorable oh my that gosh. you can like just imagine anybody in them. A hundred, hundred percent. Um when I directed this show um with my cast of kids, again, which we'll get maybe get into later if there if there's time, but the <laughs> the the kids were so excited to audition for this one because they looked into the show and they were like, I don't know, I don't know who I want to play. Just I just want to be in the show. I just yep. want to be in this show because no matter what you're doing in this show, it is just, it's a fun show and it's a fun cast. Um, yeah. My 
my personal opinion, and maybe this is an Alphaba thing, because it's 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 interesting that you said Stephanie J. Black, who played Alphaba, and you'd like to see her as Morticia. I'd like to see, and I don't know if she might be a little, I, I guess, I don't know, I don't know how old she is, but, um, you know, these, these Hollywood Hollywood and Broadway people don't age, but I'd like to see Anna Gasteyer, actually, I think oh, would be a would really be awesome Morticia, and it's funny because she's she's played Alphaba as well, so maybe it's, yeah, an, right? maybe it's an Alphaba thing, maybe it's like the darkness of the, that, that sort of dark <laughs> um, monotone comedy of Alphaba that fits really well for Morticia. Maybe. Yeah. Um, that, that could be a thing. Um, Total side note, if you haven't heard it yet, she has a Christmas album that she came out with last year called Sugar and Booze. Oh, really? And it's just hysterical. Like, it is It is typical Anna Gasteyer, really dark kind of humor. Uh-huh. Um, just some laugh out loud songs. The, 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 the title song, Sugar and Booze, is really about, you know, those are the two things that kind of get <laughs> you through the holidays. That's um, so perfect. Give, give that a listen if you like her. Awesome. Well, um, listen, I think this is a good spot to, for us to take, take a quick break. This is really, really fun so far. It's really enjoyable to talk about this stuff with you. Um, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the production aspects and talk about some tech stuff. I'd love to discuss um, some of Andrew Lippa's work a little bit more with you. And yeah, uh, some of our some of our favorite you know scenes and songs from this musical that we both seem to love so much. So, uh, so everyone sit tight. We'll be right back after this word from our wonderful friends over at 6.5 Media. Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. (laughs) Our library of precious episodes. (laughs) You're a pirate Smeagol. Okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. Hi there, I'm David. And I'm Kate. And we're the hosts of another Zelda podcast. There are so many good podcasts out there, and some of them in particular concern The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> That's right, Kate, and we are another one of them. we That is actually the name of our show, Another yes. Zelda Podcast. And in our show in particular, we talk about some of our favorite dungeons, characters, boss battles. We have top ten lists. Yeah, we do deep dives on game design and production aspects of the different Zelda games. And we talk about our own experiences. We do some review episodes, talk about our challenges, our struggles, and our victories. That's right. You know, really just almost anything that has to do with Zelda, we like to talk about it. A new episode comes out every other Friday, and you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and YouTube. And you can also check out our episodes on our website, anotherzeldapodcast.com. That's right. All right, we will see you there. Okay, bye! And we're back with A Broad's Way Through Broadway. I'm Allison Chickarell, and I'm here with Matt Zembrowski. Hi, Matt. How was your break? It was good. It was good. Water is delicious when you haven't had it for a while. (laughs) 
That's so, the dumbest uh, so segue into a second half I think in that, history. That was I didn't want to say. I didn't want to say because I'm trying to I'm trying to be positive here. I'm trying. To, we've been, we've been friends long enough that. We <laughs> um, so we left off talking about the 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 cast of Adam's Family. I'd love to talk with you all um, more about like this kind of production. So um, so like you know that I've directed this show at my small little black box theater, and I know you directed this show at a high school that you worked at. Yep. How how did you feel like the with with tech aspects and and the type of production this is do you feel like it was a like you know a pretty big one or more of a simple one to go for what what were your thoughts on like the, the well i am i is? am very much of the school of making theater out of nothing uh, partly because the high school where i worked we had no budget um and mm-hmm. i went i went to college where um when i was directing shows uh, at uwm we had nothing we had we had leftover pieces that had been left from the the um the, the bigger program uh while we were figuring our way out through the wilderness so i always envision shows as small as possible um in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of tech and costumes and and you know the the visual aspects of it and then i'm very happily surprised when i can do more with it um so the the beauty of this show is of course when they did it on broadway they had a grandiose house and it was you know the giant staircases and chandeliers and the set design won won an award (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah, obviously because it was just it really it was it it was stunning like you'd expect a broadway show the adams family to be but um if if you know anybody with uh, theatrical ingenuity can look at that and and figure out the essentials, um, we did a lot with frames. Like with all of the ancestors, we had them walking around with picture frames around their heads, um, <laughs> so that they sort of became a grand room with a whole bunch of paintings. Um, we didn't have a, a fancy staircase, but we did have uh, floor to ceiling. Um, panels that would uh, that that were on um, on wheels, so they could go from one side of the stage to the other. And so, even though it was just a uniform color, if we were on stage right, oh, we're in Morticia's bedroom, and we move it over to stage left, and we're in Grandmama's area or whatever, you know. So uh, it's 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 I I don't know if it was intentionally structured that way or if if it's just you know by virtue of of uh, whatever your budget is, but you can do that show on a very limited budget and still have the performances and the songs really carry the day. Yes, I I would totally agree. This is completely the type of show where where you don't you don't necessarily want the set to to distract from these characters because as we talked about before our break every character in this show is just such a big personality and it's like it's it's that it's that comedy is so campy and everything so it's like the attention really really stays on these actors anyway yeah. um that like you said yeah if you got the budget cool do the staircase do the chandelier do that do that big fancy mansion um ours ours was ours was similar we had the um we put kind of all our all our eggs into the big table basket we had these two <laughs> large tables that fit on our very small stage which worked for the um the dining room scene um for the full disclosure scene for those of yeah. you not familiar there's a scene where they all they have Wednesday's boyfriend's parents over um for dinner and they're all seated at this big, huge dining table. And we used that because we wanted the full disclosure scene to have the classic, you know, dining room table. Um, but we then had them split in half so that during the other scenes, we could move the tables around and use them as like you could hop up and sit on them. We use them for levels, which was really helpful for the ancestors to stay leveled and things like that. So just like yours, it was it was very simple um, and 
but it but it still had that that aspect needed for certain scenes that I felt yeah. were important to have this or that or another thing. I will um, say that I um, I'm going to jump in for just a second because I, I I remember one thing that I really was excited about was the cemetery, um, and mm-hmm. I my my dad was the tech director for that particular show, and I said, Dad, we got to have a good Adams Family crypt. We have to have a nice big old mausoleum. Um, and my wife had just gotten me a um, uh, uh, an airbrush painting set. Um, and I was looking for an excuse to kind of try it out. And so I really, like, I went all out. Like, I still have the the crest that says Adams on it from that tombstone <laughs> because it was so cool. And I just, I, I was there until like 1130 or midnight a couple nights, like, painting that thing. So it really looked solid. Um, and I, the, anyone who's been to my house at Trick or Treat knows that I kind of go all out for Halloween. And I have, a, I have a big old tombstone sort of set up in my front yard. Um, and some of those tombstones from the Adams family are actually now a part of my front yard display (laughs) nice that's perfect um like so audience wise if you if you had someone you know say like oh i'm going to new york you know uh and would recommend shows and and adam's family was going on at that time do you feel like this is one of those shows uh like a family show that's great for the whole family do you think it's more geared towards kids more geared towards adults or you know the the senior citizen crowd it's it's Kind of tricky because obviously Adam's family has the Adam's family itself has been around forever because of the the old timey TV show and everything, even the movies from the the nineties. Um, but I but I have found also that like um, what's what's the current age? That's Gen Z. Is that what they're called? Oh, the I don't even know. Gener- I lost track gener- after the Gen Z. Millen- yeah. The people who came after the post millennials. <laughs> Gen- yeah. Post millennials, whatever they're called, they're all they're super super into this show too, and it's like, yeah. have you even like seen the the movies or the TV show? So what <laughs> do you feel is like with that? <laughs> right. Where, what type of audience do you feel this this show kind of gears itself towards? Um, this this show to me um, has has kind of a, a quality of the Muppets, um, where the characters <laughs> are so big and silly, especially like the Uncle Fester character and the Pugsley character and Grandmama. Even mm-hmm. if you don't know what she's talking about in her drugged out state, she's still funny. Um, so you know, if <laughs> if you had like an eight or nine year old kid that you were trying to keep occupied, there's enough in that show, enough silly stuff to keep them occupied. But some of the humor really definitely skews towards the uh, adult understanding level and certainly mm-hmm. they they tried to open it up to uh, to a younger market toward you know the, the the tweens through the you know the the college age musical theater folks by having uh, the wednesday um and wesley characters be um uh, younger yeah so it does it does have a, a uniquely broad range i think of um of of audience uh understanding and appreciation I, I agree. I think it has a lot of those, and I and I I love shows that balance like this. Um, some of the adult humor is is adult in a way that a little kid watching it won't question it. Yeah, just go They'll over just, their head. The, it'll just go totally over their head, and 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 I and I love that because then it's like then it can be something that adults can enjoy with their kids without having to explain like. You know the com- the dialogue between Gomez and Morticia is so sexy. It, it's it really like, is. It's like how many times I've seen relationship goals Gomez and Morticia. Oh yeah, like, it's, pe- it's people's relationship and marriage goals as those two, and they're yep. so they're so passionate and sexy with each other, and it, it kind of makes you think. It's not, is that not appropriate for the kid? But it's honestly, it kind of just goes right over their yep. head. So it's perfect. Well, and it's it's um, silly in a way, but it also like their 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 passion for each other is is a, it's it's kind of a good example to see. You oh know, my gosh, it's wonderful. I know, 
parents tend to, you know, every parent is different with how they, they sort of treat PDAs around their children. My, my daughter's too young to even know um, what's mm-hmm. going on. But, um, but in terms of Gomez and Morticia, their relationship really is at its core incredibly positive and strong. Um, so even mm-hmm. though what they say, the kids aren't really going to understand, it, it is kind of an oddly solid example of what yes. a you know, loving couple could be. Yes, I've always said that too. That it's like with with how much people joke about you know like like when when the kid sees mommy and daddy kissing, ew ew, and everything. But deep down, it's like, don't you want to grow up seeing that your mom and dad love each other? Yeah, and that they keep loving each other even after like their you know parents have all these new priorities and responsibilities that they are still loving to each other like that. And that's mm-hmm. what Morticia and Gomez like totally are yeah that's why their relationship goals <laughs> everyone's gonna um, end up in therapy one way or the other you might as well set a positive right? foundation <laughs> exactly. at least you'll be at least you'll be able to be in therapy telling your doctor well my parents did love each other yep. I, I saw they loved each other they did <laughs> yep. they never um, gave me chocolate but they loved each other <laughs> <laughs> so um so the other what were the, what were the other shows going on when this when the show went on? This was in on two thousand ten, April two thousand ten was when yeah. was when the show de- debuted on Broadway. Um, yep. It, it wasn't a particularly strong year for new musicals. There were a lot of revivals. No. That was the same year as Finian's Rainbow and Ragtime and A Little Night Music with Angela Lansbury and Catherine Zeta Jones. Okay, lots of revivals. Um, the uh, yeah the 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 big Tony winner that year was Memphis. Um, and it's, it's mm. funny, uh, the Adams family, when it came out on Broadway, it was just crucified by the critics. They just hated it. Um, and everyone that. of course loved Memphis and it's a, it's a wonderful show, but it mm-hmm. ended up not having anywhere near the, the, the staying power that Adams family has. And I think part of it has to do with that universality and the, you know, the ability for, for generational audiences to appreciate it. Yeah, I I can I do remember that vaguely. I didn't remember until you said it, but I do remember. Yeah, that Adam Sandler was it was not super well received, nope. and and I feel that way about a lot of shows. Maybe I'm just too easy to please. I'm just really like, musicals. They're fun, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like right. everything is. I can find the good in, in in any musical, and maybe I'm just like kind of naive like that. But like I find that way with a lot of musicals that that are kind of raked through the coals by the critics, and I listen to it. And I was like, I really like this. And then there's others that they just oh my gosh this will blow you away and i listen oh, yeah. to the score and i'm like i can't even hum back yep, don't remember melodies. a single song from it it's, yeah <laughs> people people absolutely adore it and i know people are going to give me grief for this um but i i really i don't think that i've listened to a light in the piazza once since i first heard it i saw it it's a beautiful show it's uh-huh. obviously worth all of the praise that it had in terms of its analytical value and its really deep emotional value but it's, in terms of casual listening I will listen to The Addams Family a hundred times before I'll listen to uh, Light in the Piazza. That's yeah, just one I example. Light, there's a lot of those. Light, no, it's, yeah, no. Light in the Piazza, I, there's, there's, I know, I have a friend of mine who who is obsessed with that show and is just waiting for theaters to do that show. And I'm over here like, there are two songs in that show that I really, really, really like. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. Like, that's literally it. Whereas Adam's Family is one of those scores where it's like, if I had the whole soundtrack on, I, I won't really skip any numbers. Like, right. I, I, I really like the whole score. I, I do. Um, I, I kind of skip the Squid song because it's so weird. <laughs> and in the show, it is even weirder. I'm so They ended up cutting that whole subplot for when it went on tour. And I'm like, oh, uh-huh. thank goodness. That's even too weird for me. <laughs> And I got a I got a pretty high threshold. I grew up watching Ghostbusters and and and, and that sort of thing. And it's like this this is way too out there for me. I know a lot of people had trouble with Fester's song, the the Moon and Me. Ah, and, boo on them. 
Uh, I love that song. It's I think so it's, beautiful. I think it's absolutely darling. And yep. I think that's like, that's whole Fester's. For those of you who aren't familiar with the show, the the Fester has, you know, this thing where he's in love with the, he's in love with the moon. And then Wednesday's boyfriend's parents come in and they're like, he's in love with the moon? What the... You know, and but it's it's absolutely dying. It's my second favorite relationship in the whole show. Right? I love the setup line to that where Fester goes. I, I know what you're thinking. What does a fat bald guy of no specific sexuality know about love? <laughs> and then he sings a song to the moon, and he has this little ballet with this gigantic moon on stage. It's just it's so innocent and so charming, and it was mm-hmm. just like I, I I found myself like kind of welling up a little bit, and like why is this so beautiful? <laughs> Because it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and that's and I feel like the people who couldn't, who who didn't like that number or or had problems with it, it's sort of like open your mind a little bit more. I can yeah. I feel like it's that sort of thing. It's like it's like the people who who didn't who tried watching Glee and couldn't get over the fact that they just started singing, and all of a sudden there's like this full band around and they're singing in the hallways, and it's like it's a musical show like you I, I was to. just gonna say if, if you have a problem with people breaking out into song you're not gonna like anything in the musical musicals. right <laughs> <laughs> then watch something watch yep. something with no singing in it there's plenty so yeah i i completely agree it's it's <laughs> the people who had trouble with that song i'm just sort of like you're watching the wrong show and you're probably yep. watching i have this show you, called you the light in the piazza plays. that you're gonna love <laughs> <laughs> And don't think that I don't like Light in the Piazza. I'm not one to go around like trying to compare art. Don't don't write mm-hmm. me nasty letters. It's a beautiful I'm a, show. I'm a firm believer at everything. Nothing is is hundred percent garbage. You have your favorites. You have stuff you don't really care for. But even the shows that I've heard where I've listened the whole soundtrack through and felt there was nothing in there that I really cared. It's not garbage. It's still art. It's mm-hmm. still. It like there's good in everything because right. it's because it's a musical for goodness sake. Um, so speaking of Moonami, the song Andrew Lippa is the is the musician lyricist for Adam's Family. Yeah. Um, now I'm most familiar with Andrew Lippa aside from Adam's Family. Um, there was the three songs he added to the revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yes. Um, that I'm very familiar with because I'm a huge fan of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge fan of that show. Um, and uh, and the other two that I'm most familiar with of his work is Wild Party and Big Fish. Yep. And in my opinion, um, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I feel like those those three songs that he added to that, uh, My New Philosophy and Beethoven Day and the the intro. Um, the introduction song to that musical, I feel, are so catchy, just like Adam's Family. But when I saw a production of Big Fish and saw a production of Wild Party, as well as heard the soundtracks to both, I did not get that same feeling. I sort of heard a little bit of his theme, a little bit of his style, but I just felt like the Adam's Family score and the three songs from Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, that he added were just so instantly likable. And I did not get that from Wild Party and Big Fish, his, his other kind of bigger shows. What What were your thoughts on his other... And um, work. Andrew Lippa always to me has has seemed like uh, an old kind of Tin Pan Alley songwriter stuck writing in a pop musical world. And so <laughs> when he was able to really delve into the Adams Family and add some silly like it's it's practically vaudeville type numbers like like the moon and me and let's not talk about anything else but love and full disclosure. Those are big, broad melodies from another era. Um, and, uh, and he, it, it was almost like they completely took the reins off of him and let him write exactly what he felt he should write for that score. Um, I also saw Big Fish. I saw, again, in Chicago as a pre-Broadway tryout, 
Um, and I, I was really, uh, I feel like that show tried to cram in too much. And I think okay. part of the problem with that is they got the script writer from the movie to do the script, the libretto for the musical. And so it really felt like they were, they were thinking on a grand theatrical, uh, a, a almost cinematic theatrical style. Um, and they tried to have music that matched it and it didn't, it didn't have that same charm. It didn't have that same warmth. Um, and certainly not uh, the same melodic uh, uh, standouts. There are a couple of numbers mm-hmm. in there that are great, like like the number that opens uh, Act Two, um, uh, uh, the the little sheep from um, oh, what is it called, uh, Alabama? The number that the, the yeah. wife sings. Um, uh-huh. I can't remember what it's called exactly. That just goes to show that's you. That's such a that's that's the that happens a lot though. The uh, the opener of Act Two. I find that in that I line up all my musicals. I'm going to go off tangent and sure. tangent and just for just a second. We're going to get back to Andrew Lippa, but uh, I've noticed a pattern in my favorite songs for musicals. If I lined them all up, so many of them are the Act Two openers. Yeah. I don't know if that's like it's that's coincidence or what, or if like you know musicals. I mean, you've written musicals, so you you would know way more than me. I've never written a musical before, <laughs> but the I don't know if that's like a thing that you shoot for, where it's like okay, people are coming back from intermission, they might be getting a little tired, or they're like super pumped to get back into it. Let's really make sure to bring them something awesome. But I just feel like the act two openers are are so often like some of the best numbers in the sh- in, yeah. in the show. Well, and yeah, and I th- I think that really is what it comes down to is people are coming out of the out of intermission. They've had a chance to talk about it for a little while, um, and and you want something that's going to throw them right back into the magic again because you're coming from the real world of going to the bathroom and there's a line that's way too long to you know p- perhaps not even having a chance to relieve yourself and having to face another hour's worth of entertainment so it, it had better mm-hmm. start out really strong um and so i think i i think you're you're right about about just that um and especially if if act one ends on a good cliffhanger you want to mm-hmm. keep that intensity you almost uh, like i uh, i've written two shows that have had major productions done the first one had no intermission so i didn't have to worry about that um, but you do reach a point where the audience kind of goes into a little bit of a lull, um, whether they have a strong attention span or not. But you need something that's going to re- remember, you know, r- remind them that they have uh, that that you're watching a show, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's harder when you have an intermission when people have had a chance to analyze it um, uh, to go from the real world back into to the theatrical world that you've created for them. You have to have something that's going to grab them instantly, um, as opposed to kind of lulling them back in otherwise you know the reality is going to take over and the the magic is kind of gone yeah yeah that's interesting the, the song that i was trying to think of by the way was the little lamb from alabama oh um, yes big old silly fun old old timey <laughs> number um from yes. big fish um mm-hmm. and i i do i have to admit i have to give him credit i just love um the the closing number from that song um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's incredible. It's just this beautiful song, um, uh, called how it ends. Um, mm-hmm. and it really, it's, uh, if anybody who's, who's lost a parent or a loved one that they're really close to, it, it's, it's, it's kind of how you would hope that their, 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 the finale to the musical of their life would be, you know, it's, yeah. it's a knockout number. It, it is. I'd agree with that. That was actually the very first song that I ever heard from that score, which was kind of a bummer because. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I suppose song. you would kind of lose its impact in the actual show. <laughs> it 
<laughs> I I I love the song, and I was I was moved even just by the by the number you know out of context, having not seen the show yet and not heard the whole score yet. But unfortunately, then I listened back to the whole score, and and knowing it was Andrew Lip, and I and I like I like his stuff, but I listened to the score and was like. That was the best song. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just not the finale is a good place to have a a best song for sure because that's what (laughs) you're going to leave with. Sure, Um, it's just compared to Adam's Family, which was all, which is like I feel like listening to it straight through, you you can you can hum back every number you heard. Yep. And I I just I did not get that from Big Fish or or from Wild Party. Yeah. Um, which is which is just kind of interesting sometimes where it's like (laughs) it's the same composer you'd think. Yep. But but no. Um, one, um, one thing that you'll you'll find interesting if, if you ever do decide to go see um, a, a preview show in Chicago, like an out-of-town tryout in Chicago, or or they do a bunch in Seattle, too. I know that the Mrs. Doubtfire musical uh, premiered in Seattle, um, is the, the creative team is usually there because those performances, they're, they're gauging audience reactions. They're seeing how moments work and how songs work and stuff. Um, it's, it's basically like the workshop process, but uh, on stage with a paying audience. Um, and so when I saw Big Fish in Chicago, Andrew Lippa was there. Um, and I recognized him um, because I, I just watched a, a Playbill preview uh, of, of that show. And after the show, it, it, this was after the show was done, after Big Fish was done. And I went up to him and I, and I said, thank you for all of your work, especially on the Adams family. <laughs> I didn't really say anything about big fish cause I hadn't really processed it as being a good show at that point, <laughs> but I thanked him for the Adams family and he was very touched. That's awesome. I would have thanked him for Adams family and I would have thanked him for my new philosophy. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so listen, we're, we're about ready to wrap up, but like if one last question here with Adams family, um, having having seen the show, uh, being a big Nathan Lane fan, having directed the show in a, in a high school production, what is what is, what would you think would be like your favorite scene or number from the show, either to have worked on or to just watch? Uh, what what do you think? Um, uh, that one for me. Uh, if you would have asked me this question like three years ago, the number uh, the, the answer would have been different. Um, but now <laughs> that I have become the father of a daughter, um, I listen to Happy Sad with yep. such different ears and different eyes and a different heart. Um, and I was actually uh, I was just I was just singing it the other day. It's 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 literally sitting on my piano right now. Um, and I was just kind of thinking it's not hard to imagine me saying something like this, if not singing it, um, Mm -hmm. to, to my own daughter when, when this point in her life comes up, um, and, and, uh, you do kind of look at, at your priorities a little bit different and there are things, you know, you're, you're always going to find the happy and the sad in life. And this song really perfectly encapsulates it. And it's, it's, I it's, love the lyrics of happy. Sad. Oh my God. Yes. It's and it, br- it kind it's of, brilliant. Yeah. And it kind of comes at an unexpected moment in the show. Yes. Like there's chaos and there's silliness and there's, there's a, a weird squid and uncle Fester singing about the moon. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's this very real number between a father and daughter that just grabs you and then it goes into into crazier than you like almost immediately um <laughs> yeah and it's like okay but it works it totally works it, it it's, works it's you wouldn't universe. think it would yep. it, you wouldn't think the transition of that would and, and from where the show starts uh, and I'm, I'm talking about the broadway not the not the crazy intro that you saw right. in chicago the clandango <laughs> <laughs> from where it starts and where it ends up going and all this craziness that happens in between with this crazy campy absurdity mm-hmm 
to then have this this number for those of you who don't know it's a, it's a song that Gomez sings to Wednesday called Happy Sad um about how he feels about her growing up and being in love and everything and how that it's it's happy sad and it's it's the transition into it and out of it you, you you just wouldn't think it would work like what would this beautiful like you said real moment how would this even fit in this musical but it totally does yep, yep. it and totally I, does sorry um I, I i do want to add one tiny little thing to this i i think we were talking about how people from from the generation after us um yes. are, are embracing this so strongly um there there really seems in in just in society in general there seems to be uh, an embrace and acceptance of your own quirks and personality and, and who you really truly feel you are in a way that probably wasn't the case in, in the nineties when this movie came out, you had the, you know, the Tim Burton kind of freaks that loved the Adams family, you know, like me um, who didn't mind uh, being sort of thought of as an outsider, but now being an outsider is in. And so when you mm-hmm. get to that closing number of Move Toward the Darkness, which is, again, it's this beautiful, like almost operatic song for this crazy show. Yes. And, I, and I think that song really is almost kind of uh, an anthem to, to people's embrace of their true nature and their true selves these days. And I think that might have something mm-hmm. to do with why this show is so loved uh, by, the, by the general public, too. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. It's kind of like freak flag from from Shrek. It's we're, yeah. we're embracing we're embracing that now, um, which I think is so important um, for for any age, especially like the younger generation, younger than us, but for for anybody. Um, well, listen, Matt, I think we're about ready to wrap things up here. Um, oh, you got to tell us you what your favorite number is, though. Oh, my favorite number. Well, no, now I feel like it's okay from the non-parent standpoint, which I totally <laughs> knew you were going for. I totally knew that's where you're going when you said your opinion changed on your favorite part. I knew it was like, oh, it's going to be the the dad number. Yep. Um, uh, the uh, death is just around the corner. I have to say. Oh, it's so um, fun. Death is just around the corner. Morticia's number with the ancestors. I choreographed it, and uh, I had a little bit of um, kind of uh, chorus line choreography oh, yeah. sort of going there with the hats and everything. And oh, it was just a blast. Yep. I was obsessed with that, and it was the ca- it was the cast favorite too in the num- in the production that I directed. <laughs> um, but now you, I almost got away with it. But no, that that would be my favorite part. Um, it's it's all so good though. It's yep. such a good show. It's such a good show. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. This was so much fun talking about this fantastic piece of art, The Adams Family by Andrew Lippa. Um, Matt, I'd love to have you back again sometime. We'll talk great. about another show, especially with all the you know super awesome Broadway actors that you've met. Totally not jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. Whatever. Um, we so, met Bernadette Peters together. It's all good. That's true. That's, 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 that should make up. That should make up for it. And Henry Winkler was said said hey as he passed by us. Oh, was that with you? That oh, was that's with r- me. Okay, okay. I remember meeting him, but I couldn't remember who I was with. So thank you for filling in that gap. <laughs> In my memory. There's a lot of those. (laughs) All right. Uh, This is Allison Chikara on the Broadway through Broadway. Thank you again, Matt Zembrowski. Thanks so much for joining. And uh, we'll be back next time with another musical conversation and a wonderful guest. Uh, We are taking our final bow. And there's the blackout and the curtain. Good night, everybody.